So before we read anything, I just want to bow in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father and Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, this morning, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that Calvary covers it all. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your lovely presence. Lord, your beautiful self. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we can say that you are our saviour. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that thy spirit would have its way as we open up your word. Lord, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would move these lips of clay. Lord, that I would speak, Lord, unto your people, Lord. Lord, what you want me to say. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray, Lord, once again, come, have thy way, O God. Lord, let us be careful to give you all the glory, all the honor and all the praise. For Lord Jesus, every single word in this book cries out for the glory of you. So Heavenly Father, Lord, we just commit, Lord, everything into thy hands, O God. And Lord, we know that you will bless the reading of thy word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Luke and chapter 19. We've got to start reading at verse 41. Verse 41. This is what it says. It says, And when he, that is our Lord Jesus Christ, when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, and saying, if thou hast known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee, that thy enemies shall cast the trench about thee, and compass thee round, <clears throat> and keep thee in on every side. And I shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Now we'll know these scriptures are very solemn. <clears throat> it's what the Lord spoke over a city that we all know very well. <clears throat> city was Jerusalem. And as we read these verses, if you go back previously in the chapter, you'll find that he's coming in to the city and almost as a a, a triumphant entry into the city. There's the crowds cheering him and the crying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And we see that part of the, uh, the start of, if you like, the start of the um, the Passion Week, 
what they call the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or passion, if you like, is suffering. It's actually a Latin word, pati, and it means to suffer. And you'll find that in, in Luke's gospel from sort of this point on, more or less the rest of Luke's gospel is all based around this week of our Lord's life. But passion is a description for a strong emotion. An emotion or an intense feeling or a conviction. And this is exactly what our Lord Jesus Christ felt when he was coming into the city of Jerusalem. So when we look at Jerusalem, just a few reminders of how privileged, of how blessed this city really was. And it was because it witnessed some of the greatest events in human history regarding the Lord. It was where Abraham met Melchizedek 1,800 years earlier. It's where Abraham led his son up Mount Moriah to offer Isaac as a sacrifice before the Lord and obedience to him. And that's where the Lord stops him. The Lord says to him, God will provide himself a lamb. And he truly did in the form of Jesus Christ. But even as we we know about the story of Abraham and his son, everything was a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. And going and, and, and taking the wood on his back for the sacrifice as Isaac went up. It's exactly the same as the Lord Jesus Christ would have done. Also we bring to remembrance the powerful preaching that was in that city. The prophets of old, Jeremiah and Isaiah. Jeremiah, how he wept over the city, over the people. How he cried out to them. Prepare your hearts. Turn it back on the God. Remember that. And even in Acts 10.43 it says, To him give all the prophets witness. And then we remember the kings of Israel. Great King David and Solomon. How they were anointed in this city. And we remember the verse in Second Chronicles and 6. He says, But I have chosen Jerusalem that my name might be there. And I have chosen David to be over my people Israel. That's what he said. Most importantly of all, this city is where the temple of the Lord was. It was located in the very centre of the city and in the very centre of the temple was the Holy of Holies. This contained the mercy seat, this contained the Ark of the Covenant and in other words, there was no other place on earth at that time where God could dwell with man. It's the city, Jerusalem. Even the psalmist said in Psalm 48, verses 1 through 3, it says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for the situation. The joy of the whole earth is in Mount Zion, on the sides of the north, the great, the city of the great king, 
God is known in our palaces for a refuge. God was there. And so as we remember, as I said, the Lord was coming through a procession of people, cheering him, calling upon his name. And after all, he was the rightful king. He was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But how quickly things changed. The same people that cried out his name. I wonder how many of them cried out for his murder. How quickly things changed. Even when we read in Luke 4 and verse 18. When the Lord specifically said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, To preach deliverance to the captives. Recovering of the sight to the blind. To set at liberty them that are bruised. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And then in verse 21. He began to sound to them. This day the scripture is fulfilled in your ears. He said. This day. It's fulfilled. And yet you read a few verses down. After that they said, oh, they marveled at the gracious words that he spoke. And yet a few verses after that, they were looking for a cliff edge to go and throw him off. How quickly things change, how drastically things can change in a moment. But we see the master as he weeps in Luke 19.41. And there's two places recorded in the New Testament where our Lord Jesus Christ weeps. The other one you'll find is in John 11 and 38. And this is where he wept at the tomb of Lazarus. And it says this, it says, Jesus therefore again groaning in himself cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. And you see, I was looking at this word groaning. And it's a Greek word. And it's embry mimo. And it means this. It gives the idea to shudder in the presence of death. It's a shudder and it doesn't mean that he was afraid. It means that he was almost had an anger. An anger about it. You see, because Jesus Christ was the complete opposite of death. He was life. Everything about him was life. Everything radiated him from it was life. And this is what it, 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 it meant when he, when, when, he, when he went to walk to that tomb. There was death and he was completely opposed to it. It's the idea it gives it. Even in Hebrews 2 and 14 and 15 it says... For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also, Jesus Christ himself, likewise took part of the same. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them through fear of death, were all their lifetime subject to its bondage. Isn't that amazing what the Lord had done? 
He destroyed it. That anybody who put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ no longer had a fear of it. Because they put their trust in the one who had life. He had life. He conquered death. And you see, we don't sometimes maybe get to grips with it, but the greatest show of the Lord Jesus Christ's power on earth, the greatest show of his sovereignty was his death and his resurrection. That's bar none. That's even over creation. Do you know why? Because everything was against him. Man was against him. The devil and his minions was against him. But you know something? The creator overcome the creation. And he always does do. Always. So when we look at Luke 19.41 and it says he wept. And that's Cleo in the Greek. But it means to sob. To cry aloud with an intensity where your whole body shakes. Boy, that's intense. And it's probably best described in Matthew 2 and 18. And listen to this. It says, in Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping. And great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children. And would not be comforted because they are not. There was a great weeping here. And you wouldn't actually believe it, but there are some churches that won't actually read this verse out because they believe it shows a weakness of Christ. That's true. I couldn't believe it when I heard it myself. Let me tell you something. This shows the humanity of our beautiful Saviour. This shows the compassion of our Saviour. This shows the mercy and the love of our Saviour. But let me tell you something more than this. There is no weakness here. Let me tell you there is a strength in this. And I'll tell you why. You see, when Joshua went to take the promised land, he was told by the Lord, you're to wipe out every man, woman and child. Wipe him out. He didn't do it. And I believe because of the emotion that was attached to what he had to do. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ had that emotion probably a thousandfold more than that. But he still knew what had to be done. That, brother and sister, is a strength, not a weakness. He was approaching a city with a death sentence over it. Here was life itself approaching a city like that. And as the Lord approached, no doubt he would have been on the road from Bethany to Jerusalem. Then he would have reached the the summit of the Mount of Olives and he would have looked over Jerusalem in all its beauty. Just beyond that, he would have seen uh, Moriah with its temple on the Kedron Valley. Just beyond Moriah, he would have seen the crown and glory of Herod's temple. 
palace and then the temple. He was approaching this city. But we have to remember what was said in times past. What he said, even in 2 Kings and 24, listen to this, what he said about Jerusalem. Starting at verse 1, it says, In the days of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon came up, and Jehoiakim became his servant three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. And the Lord sent against him bands of Chaldees, bands of Syrians, and bands of Moabites, and bands of the children of Ammon, and sent them against Judah, Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by his servants, the prophets. Surely at the commandment of the Lord came this upon Judah to remove them out of his sight, for the sins of Manasseh according to all that he did. Listen to this. And also for the innocent blood that he shed. For he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. He wouldn't pardon it. He wouldn't pardon Jerusalem. He was coming to a place. Even Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 21 says, How faithful the city become a harlot. It was full of judgment, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderous. This is exactly what was going to happen. The shedding of innocent blood by the hands of murderers. He was not going to pardon it. Even the Lord himself cried out in Luke 13, verse 34. And you know this very well. He said, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stoneth them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Verily I say unto you, you shall not see me until the time come when ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. How often would he have gathered them together? How often as a hen with their chicks? And it's such a beautiful description that the Lord gives as he's gathering his people. Because there would have been a peace, there would have been a comfort to him, there would have been right next to his heart. That's the idea he's given. Even in Genesis, in Genesis 1 and, and uh, 2 when it says about the Spirit of God moved. That word there in the Hebrew gives the idea of a fluttering, of a gathering together, of a love, of a, comp- a compassion, of somebody who cares. That's what it gives the idea of. And they missed it. They missed it. And I often wonder when the Lord looked out across over Jerusalem as he wept, what did he really see? Did he see all the natural beauty? I doubt it. I doubt it. I think he saw a spiritual condition. I wonder if, when the Lord surveyed the city, I wonder if he saw the ambitions of men with the construction of a temple. Maybe he saw man-made positions and a religious system. Maybe he saw the pride and arrogance of men. 
Maybe he saw the greed. Maybe he saw a modern Tower of Babel in the midst of it. All trying to work their way. What they could do to get to God. What they didn't know, what they didn't understand was the glory of the Lord had departed. And it was stood right in front of them. It was Jesus Christ was the glory of God. And they couldn't see it. He couldn't see it. And all through the Lord's life, there was no place for him. Even when he was born, there was no room for him. Even when he said, Jesus said, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man have nowhere to lay his head. There was nowhere for him. And I'm being honest now before you, brethren. How often do we come and we come into church and we hear the gospel and we hear it preached faithfully, but how many times do we say, Lord, you stay here because I'm going home. I don't want to take you home with me. How often do we say it? Let's be honest. And I'm not being condemning this morning. I'm just, I'm just telling you exactly what the Lord laid on my heart. It come to me first. How often do we do it? Nobody wanted Christ. The cost was too hard. It's too high. You see, wherever he went, the truth went with him. And the truth is very seldom ever received. And then he pronounces this terrible prophecy over the city. And he said, Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, everybody had all turned a blind eye to what was happening. People say they couldn't see who he was, they didn't want to see who he was, was the difference. Was a city full of pretenders. Let's be honest, the Lord could see right through them all. In Revelation 2 and 9, it says they call themselves Jews, but they are not. The blasphemy of it. They would go on and on and on about how holy this temple was, how holy it is. And yet they were letting people in, they were quite, quite content. With having people in there robbing people of their hard-earned money. And that's why the Lord went straight into the temple afterwards and said, You've made it a den of thieves. My father's house is a house of prayer. And he cast them all out. You see, the temple had to go. The temple had to go because we were to be made the temple of Christ. But it had to go for another reason too. The temple had been completely defiled. Been defiled. One was by the innocent blood, was defiled. But there was another reason. Judas would have come in 
and threw his blood money into the temple. And he would have defiled it. And we don't realise at times, but you see, you see when we read about leprosy in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, it was a representation of sin. You see when a priest come into a house and he would check somebody, and if he find any that were a leper, you know what he would have done? He would have taken them out of that house and he would have ordered it, took down brick by brick. That's exactly what Christ saw in that temple. The sin of it. And it was completely destroyed in 70 AD. I just want to be honest with you this morning. I think this last year, have we never ever seen the scriptures more come to life? I believe than any other time. Talk about living in the days of Noah. We talk about when truth will become lies and lies will become truth. Boy, are we seeing that. We're seeing people completely defining gender. Everything. We're seeing our freedoms taken away. We're seeing the church completely asleep. And sometimes I wonder, do you know what? Do we actually really got to grips with the time, the visitation of Christ? Have we? Have we? I see so many times I see it that I see the church failing badly. And yet this is what the scriptures say in first Peter four and seventeen, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Everything we see out in the world, it's gotta come here first. The Lord's gotta take a dealing with us first. And he has to, because we have to change. We have to change to affect out there. It's the only way it's going to happen. And people can say, well, look at what the government's done. Look at how the government's let us down. Let me tell you something. The state of this nation had nothing to do with the government. It had to do with the state of the pulpits. They weren't preaching the word. There was no gospel in it. And even now there's no gospel in it because they're telling everybody things will get worse, but you're all going to fly away. And it's nonsense. Because the Lord said you've got to have tribulation. The Lord said you've got to go through hard times. But you know something? He said you'll have a peace about it because you'll overcome because I'm with you. That's what the Lord said. That's not what man says. It's what the Lord says. We're living in a time where nobody endures sound doctrine anymore. They don't want to go off the fairy stuff, don't they? What is it, the gospel according to Frozen? No, seriously though. That's what they're doing. 
How the heck are you going to preach a gospel like that? The church are trying to get people in by using the worldly means. Let me tell you something. If this book, if these words aren't enough to bring people in, then brother and sister, you might as well shut them doors. Because there's nothing going to bring them in. Because it's exactly what Jesus Christ used. It was the word. Even the hardest. It was the word. It was enough to pierce the even the hardest of hearts. Jesus, when he saw Jerusalem, he saw all this. He saw the kingdoms that man was building. But it was for his own self and not for the glory of God. I see it in the church as well. Many a times when you see churches and they're building them up for their own glory. Let me just say this. I was praying and praying about this message so much. And the Lord spoke to me. You see this next year, and this is being recorded. And I know where I'm standing before the Lord, and I'm saying this now. This next year, you're going to see a move in the church that you've never seen before. I mean it now. What could come with it is a separation. And I'm warning you now. You are going to see people that you thought were steadfast in the world word fall away. I'm telling you. You need to get your eyes off people and start getting them on Christ. I mean it. More than ever before. There's a separation coming in this next year. Things are going to get far worse. But you are going to start to see the true church of God go that way. And the apostate go that way. And the first people that are going to come after the true church, I'm telling you, it's not the government. It will be the apostate church. They will do everything within their power to come against us. Brother and sister, it's time to get your relationship right with God. I don't like saying this, but I am going to say it. There's some that have come here many, many times. They've heard the word preached. They've heard the gospel. They've heard about the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of your hearts have become hardened to it. Some of your hearts have become hardened to the Spirit of God. Some of your hearts used to leap and come in the church and hearing the word. Some of you used to listen to when the Spirit spoke, and now you don't. You've cut yourselves off. You're starting to go deeper and deeper into the world. And let me tell you something the Lord is calling you back because you are going to need to get your relationship right with the Lord for what is going to happen. You need to get your relationship back with Christ. You need to start praying again. You need to start coming to him. 
you need to start opening your heart to him again. Don't walk out these doors this morning and close your heart again to him. The Lord's calling you. He wants you to be part of the body of Christ. He wants you to be a big part of it. But you have to let him in. You have to let him work. You have to let him do. You have to let him strip your back even. But the Lord wants your heart. He wants you this morning. He wants the church on fire for him. Please don't walk out them doors the same way as you come in this morning. Jesus Christ, he's worth more than that. He's worth more than that this morning. When I seen him in my mind's eye, looking over Jerusalem and weeping over it, I said, Lord, please, let not that be your church. Lord, please, let not that be us. Let us start a change. Let us start to make this place a house of prayer. Let us to start to make an altar in our heart that burns for thee, O oh God. Because people, I'm saying this with all the love I can muster in the Spirit of God. We're going to need it. We're going to need it. The enemy will come and try and cause disunity within this body of Christ. I mean it. We need to stick together. We need to stand on the word of God more than ever before. And I just want to say this. Just as Jerusalem was torn down, you see all the faults. You see all these faults, church. You see all the pretenders. The Lord will tear them down. But I want you to remember something what the Lord said. He said to Peter, I will build my church. He's got to build the church. Nobody else. He will build the church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's got to do it, brother and sister. So I'm finishing with this. Keep the word. Guard it in your heart. Let us keep the unity together. Let us let the spirit have its way to lead us and guide us. And I mean this now. Let the Lord Jesus Christ be glorified in it all. Not of man, but of him. He's got to build his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I know it's been a hard message maybe to listen to this morning. But I said to the Lord, I want to bring something from you, not from me. And that's the truth. God bless each and every one of you. Thank you for your attention. Pastor Ken.